Hello, you're listening to Heroes and Headwinds. It's a podcast brought to you by The Culinary Edge. I'm Graham Humphreys, CEO at The Culinary Edge, and I lead a team of food and beverage innovators who, maybe like you, solve today's problems and create tomorrow's opportunities for food and beverage. This podcast brings you into the conversations that we have with our heroes in the industry, discussing how to brave the headwinds of an ever-changing and challenging F&B landscape. Along the way, we hope you'll get to know our guests as we have as friends, collaborators, and inspirations for a brighter future. Today, we're hearing from Annika Conrad, Chief Brand Officer for City Barbecue. Annika is a force in our industry, having led marketing at Mellow Mushroom, Moe's Southwest Grill, and McAllister's Deli. And she's gone on to the CMO role at Fat Brands and Global Franchise Group. So if you're walking and breathing in the United States, there's not a doubt that you've been inspired by or benefited from Annika's work. Enjoy her interview with TCE's Michael Parlapiano. Well, Annika, so nice to see you. And thank you so much for joining our little podcast. Um, you know, you've had um, the opportunity to work with the Culinary Edge several times over your career, and we've had the opportunity to work with you on a handful of projects, but we thought this would be such a great opportunity to get to know you a little bit more, um, learn more about your background, what drew you to our industry, and also kind of how you're thinking about the uh, industry um, in the coming uh, year and in the years ahead. So um, thanks for joining. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, starting at the top, you know, something I realized you know, despite having known you for very long is, is, you know, not knowing how you first got into food and beverage. Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah. So I, I actually came to it um, kind of through pure marketing, not like some people come in where they might start in operations and start at the ground level and kind of work their way up. Uh, I was working on the advertising agency side and an opportunity came available on the client side at McAllister's Deli. And I have always been a lover of food, right? I'm, I kind of hate the word foodie, right? It seems so self-important, but I, I would say I've probably always been food curious, like from a young age. Um, and I love to cook and I love all things about going out and hospitality. And so it, it just felt like, wow, this is an opportunity to, uh, you know, I know it's cliche, but to truly get, get to work at something that I really, really love. Uh, and so that would have to be really easy and great, right? Except, of course, we know restaurants are not easy. <laughs> um, but, you know, it just felt like this is something that, you know, I could do and, and it would just never feel old or tired to me. I'm hearing then, you know, as you move from kind of that agency setting to kind of go work, you know, for a specific brand, did, did, you, did you feel like it just clicked? You know, despite the fact that it felt somewhat like a new industry for you, did you feel like you were kind of at home among food and beverage? So I felt like I was at home among food and beverage, but I feel like, you know, and look, like like most of us as a kid, I, I worked in some food operations, right? But I was would not say that I was operationally driven. So, you know, I think I think as a marketer, right, you, you have all these wild ideas and you want to do all these great things, and you're always like, hey, what if we do this or this or this or what about this? Uh, and you know, and then you find out pretty quickly how much complexity there is in a restaurant organization. Uh, I had done a lot of work on the agency side in retail, and I, I always, people will kind of say, well, it's not really that different, right? Um, and, and 
to some degree, they're not that different, but I like to explain it to people, you know, like when you're in retail, you have a number of SKUs to sell, right? And so really it just comes down to price, promotion, and all those types of things. But when you're in restaurants, it, it's kind of the equivalent of a customer walks in and they say, I want to buy that sweater, this one right here that you have on the menu, except I want uh, the left arm to be purple and the right arm to be red. And by the way, I'm allergic to wool. So could you please make it out of cotton? And so every single thing is a custom one-off. And, and so in, in that sense, it's very different. So I think I was very at home with the product and the feeling of hospitality. But, you know, I think, I think the notion of the operational complexity uh, was probably the biggest learning curve for me. It's a great perspective and, it, you know, I think going to come up in some of the further questions that we have about some unique challenges that you might have faced, you know, or unique challenges specific to our industry. But, you know, you just referenced, you know, starting your career with McAllister's, you've had a chance to work with other iconic brands like Mellow Mushroom, um, now most recently with City Barbecue. You know, I'm curious as you kind of began your career and worked through, you know, many different iconic brands with very loyal followings, what some of those kind of biggest marketing um, successes were for you, but also kind of what some of those kind of crazy ideas that you said that you had might have, you know, resulted in some of your most epic kind of marketing failures and kind of what you learned from it. Yeah, I, I know. It's 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 really, it, it's always fun to talk about our failures, right? But um, for a minute though, you know, it's kind of park it too, because I've had, you know, one thing you said, I, I've I've actually worked for a lot of brands that have been around for a long time. And I think that's something to be proud of, right? I mean, that longevity of brands, we know what a tough business this is, right? Not many people can make it five years, let alone 25 or 40 or 60. Um, but, you know, with that working with legacy brands uh, kind of carries its own bag of rocks that you have to carry, right? So, um, you know, as I think about that, I think one of the biggest challenges that, that I was really tasked with when thinking of brands was when I was uh, with Global Franchise Group, we owned Great American Cookies. Very iconic brand. Everyone loves a cookie cake, uh, but that's a brand that was rooted in the malls, right? And so uh, we all know what happened there and what's happening there. And so, you know, we, we realized that, we hey, we got to get this brand street side and we have to rebrand it. Uh, we also own Marble Slab Creamery, really great ice cream shop. Um, I think you guys have probably worked with them in the past, even before I was there beautiful products, you know, all handmade ice creams, very high butterfat level. And so, so we realized that in order to really bring forward the future of both of those brands, we needed to get them street side and we needed to combine them together. So we did a complete and total um, soup to nuts, branding, built environment product, uh, created a co-brand for the cookies and the ice cream to live together in one really sort of beautiful dream state sweet shop, if you will. Um, and, and sweets are so fun anyway, right? Because, you know, it's, it's very, so I kind of, I kind of claim that as like my Willy Wonka face, right? I mean, it, it's really beautiful and magical and, and it, and it does make you feel playful and bring out the inner child in you. But um, that's probably one of the, the funnest and most unique projects that I've been able to work on is, mm -hmm. is really, like I said, trying to bring these, these products that are, you know, one thing in people's mind and to make them something else and put them in a different location and put them together and, make the products and the branding and everything coexist. So um, that, that was, I would say a big, a big challenge uh, that was really incredibly fun to work on. And, and they're very successful today and a lot of those street side locations opening. So um, really fun to see success. Like I said, bringing forward a, a legacy brand. 
really tough um, to do also I, I can imagine you know in the environment you know that was kind of uh you know the pandemic in trying to yes. think about how to shift those um embedded uh behaviors or you know perceptions of brands that had lived in the minds of those consumers as say a mall concept for as many years and to bring everything um, that made them so unique and special, but into a new space and get that same customer to be thinking about um, them in similar or, but different ways at the same time. Yeah, no, that that's exactly right. You know, really, because what you don't want to become is, Oh, that was that eighties place. Right. Uh, you know, so you want to make sure that you maintain that relevance for a new generation. So um, certainly a big challenge. And to your point, we launched our first concept prototype in 2020, right, in the height of the pandemic. So uh, people couldn't even walk into it. But we said, hey, you know, we've got to go forward, uh, right? We have this. So we, we can't wait uh, and, and see where this thing ends up. So uh, but a lot of fun doing that for sure. Um, you know, thinking about crazy ideas and surprising things, I mean, looking back on it, it was a fun idea, but it wasn't at the time. I didn't think, oh, this is a really, really big idea. But um, when I was working for McAllister's, uh, as you know, at McAllister's, you know, the sweet tea, the sweet tea is the gold, right? That's the currency at McAllister's. 75% of transactions are sold with the sweet tea in that brand. So massive attachment rate. It's, it's really um, the core driving product. And so at McAllister's, the, you know, the golden rule, it was a no discount concept to begin with, which is a beautiful thing, uh, right? I mean, it's wonderful to say that, you know, we're never going to discount our products. Uh, and certainly we would never, ever, ever give any kind of discount on the tea. But um, so I, I just came up with this idea, idea and I said, well, you know, we don't want to discount it, but what if we took one day in July when it's really hot and we said, it's going to be free tea day and everybody who walks through our door is going to get a free tea. I mean, you know, like I said, again, saying it out loud, it doesn't really seem like that much of a big idea, but um, so we pitched it to my boss and he, to his credit, he let me do it. I, you know, I, I still, to this day, I give him credit for saying, you know, you take responsibility, whatever happens here. And, you know, I know a lot of franchisees were, as ah, the dumbest idea marketing ever had. I don't know why we're doing this. You know, of course, uh, we got 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 some hate mail. Some people weren't too happy about it to begin with, but uh, it ended up being insane. Like it blew the doors off. People were lined up down the street because they never, you know, they never got a discount, and it was and it was celebrating them. I mean, it was unbelievable uh, the volume of business that we did, and actually the percent of new guests that we saw come in was really high, which was really that was a surprise output to it, right? We really didn't see that coming. Uh, and so, you know, that ended up just being insane and they still do it to this day. It's, it's still their big celebration. So, um, you know, that's what I always feel really proud about. It's like, wow, you know, I started that with my team. Uh, but, you know, I think it's a, a good, sort of a good level set to kind of say, you know what, sometimes th things don't have to be crazy with, with all these different components, or sometimes it's just a simple idea can really matter to people when it's a product that they care about, right? If it's, mm -hmm. if it's something that's meaningful to people. So that was, that was kind of a, a crazy idea that um, really blew up in, into something that we just, you know, never saw coming. So it was a fun one. Very cool. Very fun. And, uh, you know, I think what you just said really resonates with me is that they don't always have to be the biggest, you know, um, 
crazy ideas, right? They just need to be, they can be simple. They can be just as impactful without kind of trying to come up with the next craziest idea. I'm curious, you you mentioned something earlier in the conversation about maintaining relevance and especially Mm -hmm. with legacy brands as they evolve, where do you turn to for inspiration? You know, whether it's, you know, looking, you know, in our industry with other brands, you know, that um, are doing interesting or unique things or even outside, where where do you go um, to um, come up with the next great idea or be inspired? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, I'm always inspired when I travel. I'm always inspired by seeing different things in different places, right? I feel like we learn so, so much just by, by trying to understand how different people are doing things different ways. Uh, I'm really inspired by retail, right? I mean, I think that in our industry, we, we tend to sometimes, you know, we're, we're maybe not quite as innovative. And so I really like to see what's happening out there more, at, you know, at direct consumer retail, uh, particularly if you look on the fashion side, right? And really starting to understand trends and what's happening, even with colors and, you know, the way that photography is being taken, right? Because um, all those things then will cascade into food, right? And into how we'll start to look at things. And uh, so I'm always interested in sort of composition and, and how do things look and why are people, why are people trying the things that they're trying and are people, you know, with clothing, you can see the trend, right? Are people driven by comfort right now or are people more driven by things that are a little, a little more brave, a little more bold, right? Because you can really see that quickly in fashion, uh, how the consumer's feeling, right? Like, are, are we wanting to be warm and comfy um, and wearing, you know, our COVID clothes or are we wanting to, like I said, be a little bolder? And um, so, so I take a lot of inspiration from that. And like I said, on the food side, really from traveling, from what you see and taste and get to do out there, I always feel so inspired um, when I'm able to, to see something new and different or, you know, do a food tour and, yeah. and see different tastes and, re- and regionalities and things. I was just going to reference that we've had an opportunity to travel together over the last year and, you know, just thinking about how impactful that short amount of time together can be um, sharing experiences together and seeing them. And there might be that one kernel of inspiration that becomes one of those big ideas, right? Um, Whether it's applied to the brand from a marketing standpoint or culinary, right? I, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think, I think it's so impactful. And I think if, if you are not doing that, getting out just a little bit, once a year. And I think you bring up a good point too. When you do it with other people, there's so much more value in it because you, you all sort of react when, you, I mean, you know, we've had moments where we're all like, wow, this was, you know, you really kind of have an aha moment or a wow moment or, you know, sometimes where it's like, oh, okay, that wasn't as awesome as I thought it was going to be. Uh, you know, so uh, I think, you know, it's really fun to react and bounce things off of each other. And I think that those kind of immersions are really, really helpful and meaningful and important. Um, switching gears a little bit, um, you know, you joined City Barbecue now almost uh, about two years ago. Um, what are the three words that would kind of best sum up uh, how you feel about the brand? Uh, authentic, quality, and culture. Ho- hopefully that comes to mind when you think about City Barbecue. It certainly does. You know, I think been struck by the brand and, you know, its growth recently um, in the market. Um, It's a very unique concept. It's one, you know, of the first kind of true omni-channel barbecue brands out there with dine-in and drive-through and the events catering that I know that you guys do and so on. I'm curious, you know, from your perspective as a manager of the brand and as a marketer, what are some of the unique challenges that come with managing 
up ran with so many different sales channels and so many different use cases and so many different consumer occasions? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Um, with City Barbecue, especially, uh, as you know, I mean, of course we do, we have, we have drive-through, we have, you know, all those things, online delivery, but a lot of people and a lot of brands are managing those kind of channels and, and they bring their own analysis and things. But um, certainly with City Barbecue, because we do so much catering and it's so important to the business and the way we do it and the places in which we do it, I think are so unique. Uh, it's, it's really a business and a brand within a, a brand. And so, you know, we, we've kind of had to step back and say, from a strategic standpoint, our, our catering business is, is its own business. So we have to, it's got to have its own marketing calendar. It's got to have its own marketing strategy because it's, it's a very different consumer that we might be going after. Uh, and the level of brand awareness and education that we might need to do is really dramatically different than talking to a, a consumer you know, about coming to eat with us and have a brisket sandwich where we're talking about how long we smoke it and the craft and all those types of things versus trying to sell someone to let you cater their wedding. Uh, you know, it's really all about trust and timeliness and professionalism uh, and, and appearance and all those types of things. And it's a very different business. And, and the way that we, we talk about it and present it is very different. So it's really a business within a business. The brand has evolved, you know, as I understand in many ways, obviously, to answer on um, this new era of, you know, consumer behavior um, in the restaurant space coming out of the pandemic. Um, obviously, like many brands have come up with, you know, new ways of addressing these different sales channels or changing the online platforms, apps and so on. You know, as you think about how much the industry has changed, you know, during your career in food and beverage, and most recently, obviously coming out of the pandemic, you know, I'm, I'm curious to hear, you know, what's weighing heaviest on you um, and, you know, either the city barbecue brand, or just as you think um, into the future, you know, what, what challenges uh, are you facing every day as we kind of now are, are kind of settling into this new normal of consumer behavior? Yeah. I mean, great question. I, I think, of, of course, a lot of the challenges that we face as a brand are the ones that are out there on the street for everybody, right? Commodity pricing, you know, I, th I think we're still, it's much better than it was, right? But but there's still a lot of ups and downs. And, um, I, you know, for us as a brand, candidly, when you're in barbecue, right, you, you're, you're tied to big meats. Uh, I mean, it is what it is, right? <clears throat> if I was running sweet greens, uh, I could innovate salads against different types of proteins and the consumer maybe wouldn't care, right? But uh, for us, if, if a consumer loves brisket, they want brisket, right? And so it doesn't matter to them if, if beef is high this year or this month or whatever. So um, so tempering tempering our innovation, you know, against uh, product price and cost of goods and, you know, looking at our promotional calendar and making sure that we're putting out there what we think is a great value for the consumer, great value for the brand. You know, I think that's a big challenge. Um, and that's top of mind for us always, right? Uh, like I said, probably like most any operator that you would be talking to these days. Uh, and then, you know, the other piece that you touched on and something that we quite frankly spend a lot of our time talking about, it, you know, is, is technology uh, and the role of technology of what we and what we do. You know, if I think about my career, you know, even just 15 years ago, you would have never thought that, uh, you know, the CMO and the chief technology officer that, that that would be the person you'd be tied at the hip with, 
right? I mean, it, it just didn't, it wasn't really like that, but, you know, but now it's really all technology driven. And I do think that we are seeing within the industry, you know, a return to, to more experiential hospitality, but I don't think the technology piece is ever going to leave us. And so, you know, I think for, for us, you know, we, we, we're pretty good at it, but we, we have to say to ourselves, you know, what, where do we think we can be leaders, right? And, and what, what can we do that's differentiated and, and how can we, you know, digitally differentiate ourselves? Um, so, so it's, you know, again, it, it's sort of another place that a marketer now has to play in and say, you know, I can't just differentiate my environment or my product. I have to digitally differentiate myself as well. Uh, and so uh, that, that's probably one of those things that falls into the, you know, keeps you up at night type of bucket, right? Absolutely. In, in kind of hearing a version of that is finding a way also to make both of those experiences um, speak to one another or, or kind of sing with the same voice as being its own unique challenge as well um, to optimize for both this kind of, you know, in-store experience where the brand is alive and well in one way and then translating that to the digital space um, and, and allowing it to do the same thing. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, I mean, they, they all have to be on brand. And, um, you know, one of the things that we work through that you guys kind of helped us with is this notion of our food taking hours to craft, but minutes to get, right? And, and so, you know, and, and that's something as well, like how do we communicate to our consumer? Just because you can get this product in a drive-through, uh, it doesn't mean it didn't take 18 hours to make, right? Like mm-hmm. it's pretty unheard of that you would, get something i mean we were talking about our brisket chili you know that's a a 24-hour process right so you're going to a drive-thru you're getting a product that took a day to make you know which is kind of unheard of so you know i think for us a lot of it is is kind of maintaining that sort of so again we want to have that speed of service but we want to make sure that we're that we're kind of telling people right this is just because you got it fast didn't mean we made it fast so it's a great story and certainly one that I think is differentiated to use your words, you know, in the marketplace, um, you know, fast food that takes that long to make, um, that honors the craft of barbecue and slow smoking, um, but is meeting the consumer where they are today, right? And right. seeking the utmost convenience, whether they're ordering from a phone or through a drive through mm-hmm. Pretty remarkable. So just thinking about others starting out their career in food and beverage, um, and specifically in the brand and marketing side, you know, what advice would you give to someone entering into the industry now and everything that you've just been discussing, um, about, um, the challenges that uh, a brand marketer needs to, uh, or would be facing, you know, in this environment? Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's a, a few things to, to think about, right. If you were someone who just said, Hey, I want to start out, I want to be in restaurant marketing, um, and, and the first thing I would say to people is, you know, don't feel like, I think in restaurants in particular, it's really a benefit to you if you can uh, work in different pieces of the business. If you could work in operations or in training or, you know, in, in other areas, I think it would, it really benefits people. Um, so I think, you know, people should not be afraid to branch out and to get outside their comfort level because ultimately it's really going to lift you in your career. Uh, another thing I think is helpful for people and not to tell someone to be a job hopper, but uh, it's it's certainly good to work within different types of restaurants, uh, fast casual, QSR, 
casual dining, um, you know, perhaps a digital only it could be a virtual kitchen, right? Um, there's so many different models out there and, you know, none is the right or wrong answer, right? They all sort of have their place in the world, but it only makes you better. The, the more you know about different, different types of models, because there's always something that you can sort of bring to the table and, and carry through. And, and so I think that's really helpful. Um, one thing I always tell everybody on my team is consume all the content that you can, right? Read absolutely everything you can about the industry, you know, mom and pops, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, and really must love food. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I know it seems 101, right? But if you want to be in this business, uh, I mean, you, you got to love it. it. It is a hard, you know, it is a hard, demanding business. Um, I think one of the hardest and most demanding out there. But, you know, I think for, for those of us who are in it for the long haul, we just have so much passion for it, right? Mm -hmm. And it, and mm -hmm. if you have passion for it, you know, I think that, that you can really stay with it and be successful and love it and and love what you do, but, but you got to have that. And, you know, if, when I interview somebody for a job, I always ask them, tell me your favorite restaurant, but what's your favorite thing to eat? Right. And cause I want people who love going to restaurants, right. And who love talking about the experience and who that's important to, cause if that's not important to you. It's probably gonna be very hard for you uh, to get excited about it. So, um, you know, so make, make sure you love it. That's the biggest thing. That's really lovely advice and certainly um, I'd say consistent with the way that we think about um, bringing people into our organization. And I think what you just said that really resonates with me is also just, you know, taking that broad view and not necessarily siloing yourself into one uh, specialty or discipline, even within our industry and how much you can learn from getting back a house or learning about operations or even the finance side of things um, and how that can make you better at what you do very much, you know, I think resonates, you know, because of, I think, the way we approach our practice as well. Um, it's a prerequisite at the Culinary Edge that everyone come in being passionate about food because I think you yeah. said it best. You, you can't really be successful uh, if you're not in love with kind of the product, as challenging as this industry is. Exactly. Um, you mentioned, you know, eating, you know, a, a meal. Um, one of our kind of favorite kind of outro questions here is kind of what would be your last meal? Um, Curious to hear what that might be. Yeah, so uh, I'm probably going to rabbit hole this a little bit, but um, for me, it, it's funny. I was thinking a few years ago, there was an article that came out in Bon Appetit, and the author basically said, hey, if you tell me what you eat for Thanksgiving, I can get within about 100 miles of where your family's from, right? Because what we eat for Thanksgiving is obviously it's, you know, so, so defined by regionality, so... Um, so my last meal would be things that I've enjoyed at my family Thanksgiving over the years. Uh, for a little little backstory, I'm from LA, Lower Alabama. Okay, so uh, my my people are from the coastal area there and the Mobile Bay. So seafood super important to me, um, always has been. So my death row meal would be, well, if if I was allowed to have alcohol, it would be champagne and oysters for sure. Um, so it would be oysters on the half shell, champagne, uh, and then I have two of my family Thanksgiving favorites that would 100% be part of my meal, and one is a uh, oyster and wild rice dressing uh, that my aunt used to always make for Thanksgiving, um, and then the second one is something called West Indies salad, 
you've probably never even heard of it. It's, uh, it's a delicacy really found uh, in the Mobile Bay area. Uh, it's one of the best things you'll ever meet in your life. It is uh, made with jumbo lump crab meat. Got to be jumbo lump crab meat. Got to be right out of the bay. No more than, no later than yesterday. Uh, but it's a jumbo lump crab meat salad. Uh, it's marinated with a sweet onion, a little apple cider vinegar, a little vegetable oil, salt and pepper. Marinated overnight and then you serve it with crackers. So it's it's one of the most pure and delicious things you will ever have. So for me, it would definitely be oysters, champagne, oyster wild rice dressing, and West Indies salad. Sounds delectable. Um, Annika, I can't thank you enough for joining us. Um, as I said at the start, you know, we've known one another for a long time, but I feel like I've gotten to know you even more in this conversation. So thanks for spending the time with us and sharing your story. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to Heroes and Headwinds, a podcast brought to you by the team at the Culinary Edge, produced by Evan Sorenstein and Mackenzie Phelan. Watch your feed for the new episodes to discover which industry leader we're chatting up next.